Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Goliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, I gotta say, it was an off-season for the ages, one I will never forget, okay? From the white sands of New Mexico to the pitch black of the Carlsbad Caverns to the leafy green of the road to Hana to the brilliant deep red of Antelope Canyon, to the bright orange of Bryce Canyon National Park. Obviously, the golden sunrises and the purple sunsets. This offseason had it all. But I got to tell you, Andrew, I was walking through Red Rocks Park this week, and it hit me. Mm -hmm. Summer is over. City boy summer, whatever you want to call it, it's done. Basketball is back starting tomorrow. I cannot wait for Lakers media day. I cannot wait for Clippers media day. And I got to say, I was covering the WNBA uh, playoffs this week. It was like a a blood spitting procedure for my soul. It rejuvenated me to see a player of the caliber of Elena Deladon going for her first title. I mean, she is just primed like 1991 Michael Jordan to just ball all over the first trophy she gets her hands on. She's got that laser focus to finally get over the hump. The women can really play. Their passion is off the charts. Their love of the game. All of it was so inspiring. It's really got me revved up. And Andrew, this is my message for myself, for you, and for the entire open floor globe, okay? There's going to be one word that's going to drive us all season long. That word is submit, okay? I'm going to be going to like 80 regular season games this year. It's going to be one of the most intense probably six-month runs uh, of sports viewing that I can ever imagine. But I think this is the year to do it. It's a wide-open uh, race in the Western Conference. We've got superstar duos driving all sorts of narrative storylines all over the league. I think it's going to be an absolutely fascinating season with major implications going forward for the next, you know, three, four, five years. We got through the crazy offseason. It really just set the table for what I think is going to be one of the most interesting and intriguing NBA regular seasons in years. And so I just want you to submit, Andrew, give your heart to basketball. It will pay you back, not just you, but myself and everyone else as well. What do you think? I am ready. I think that's a great message to kick things off with. Uh, I, I, You can feel it, you know, like the entire NBA is beginning to sort of come back to life here. For me, my experience, my like blood spinning experience or whatever you said at the top with the WNBA, that's how I felt watching the World Cup, uh, the FIBA stuff, because like watching those games, I was like, man, it's just awesome to have basketball in our lives again. And then the Mystics, I do hope that they can finish this off. It's been a really cool story. Elena Deladon is someone who I have enjoyed watching since she was at Delaware and it would be awesome if she can go get this title. Great for the city. Uh, Emma Messamin is also balling out as well. Silencing the aces. I enjoyed your coverage from out there. But yeah, man, it's great. It's like we're about to get rolling here, and um, I'm very excited. I think that this is going to be kind of a season for the ages, and it is wild when you talk to people, like people in the league who like – front offices and whatnot, everybody's just kind of like shrugging their shoulders at what's possible this year because there are 10 teams that can win a title. They all have their own flaws and um, nobody really understands or nobody has any idea how any of this is going to play out. 
There's no question about it. And guys like you just polluted the airwaves for the last three years with this anti-super team nonsense, just kind of ruining <laughs> and poisoning in the environment. And so, look, I'm not happy that Kevin left Golden State, but I am glad to be rid of that talking point, that narrative of, oh, the horrible super team just ruining the competitive balance. Um, I want to see who's going to step up to the plate and be great. I think there's a lot of teams that could potentially do it. You know, last week meeting with Doc Rivers and their brass at their facility. First of all, seeing Kawhi Leonard, the guy is built like a tank. Okay, so I don't know what blood spitting he was up to, but he looks huge. Um, but the message from the Clippers was bring on the pressure, and that's what I love to hear too. And I just sense kind of thirst in all quarters, Andrew. Like I put up a video of the Lakers just walking into that WNBA game the other day. The Lakers fans were just going absolutely nuts seeing LeBron side-by-side side with Anthony Davis, side-by-side side with Dwight Howard and Quade Cook. I mean, you would have thought they had already won the title. That's how excited these Lakers fans were on my Twitter mentions. So I just think, uh, you know, the overwhelming, uh, you know, just positivity that we've got right now, let's bottle that up. Let's let's capture that. Let's ride this energy wave through the entire regular season. I think it's going to be a great one. Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, I mentioned I talked to someone in a front office. I also talked to a player, both from different teams, and both of them were like, look, the title is winnable right now, and it's wide open, and some team is going to go grab it. And I, I like that that attitude is sort of percolating all over the league. Um, it's going to make things a lot of fun. But to take things in a completely different direction here. Much ben, more somber and sobering sports business conversation. Here it comes, right? Well, a little bit, a little bit. I figured we should start with two news items. But first, we should talk about, you mentioned poisoning the environment, this and that. Woj reported last Friday the NBA Board of Governors passed a stricter package of measures to enforce compliance with tampering and salary cap circumvention. And uh, earlier this week, we saw the Bucks were fined, I believe it was $50,000, for mentioning that Giannis would get a Supermax the second he was eligible, which seems like a pretty reasonable thing to say if asked. So I'm going to kind of give you the ball here. What's your take on the NBA's approach to tampering both this summer and then earlier this month? Well, let's come back to what happened with the Bucks getting fined in a second. But just big picture, you're going to call me a cop, you know, whatever you want to throw out there. But I am for a strict enforcement of the tampering guidelines, just period. I think that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, commentators such as yourself and, you know, other people of your ilk, you just get obsessed with the contract talk, the rumors, the future looking and everything else. I do think it distracts from the actual discussion of the game. You know, I was in Maui a couple of weeks ago watching these guys play five on five full court inside one of those chain linked uh, uh, courts under a full moon, you know, at night with like 20 mm -hmm. people watching them. They had customized jerseys. I'll be honest, I didn't actually see them make a basket while I was watching. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that they were good, but what you really saw for them was the passion for the sport, you know, the intricacies of the actual game itself. And when we have these tampering conversations, when, you know, even a Bucks executive is being asked questions publicly and has to answer publicly about a contract that's two years down the road, We've taken our eye off the ball. You know, we're not actually talking about what makes this game great. Let's bathe in Giannis's, 
you know, amazing Euro steps and transition plays and help side defense and all that stuff. Let's not worry about he, the fact he's going to get paid $50 million uh, by somebody, you know, in 2022, right? And so to me, I think strict mm. enforcement is actually good for the game uh, on all parties. I think it does help level the playing field. I'm glad Adam Silver is flexing a little bit this summer, uh, and I hope it works. I hope it sticks. But with the specific example of John Horst, I kind of felt bad for him, bro, because that was wasted money, man. Like, if you're going to get fined for tampering, do it like magic. You know, go on a television show that everyone's watching and go nuts with it. You know, don't be at a little town hall with a bunch of Packers fans asking you basic questions about, so what's the deal with Giannis's contract? And then just kind of like yeah. stumble into it. So I think for him, it was money wasted. You know, if you're going to get fined, you know, get your money's worth, you know, do it like Doc did it. I mean, and I think that is one of the differences here. I think some of these organizations are a little bit more media savvy. They know how to play the tampering card maybe more than others. Well, unfortunately for John Horst, I don't think that he has an open invitation to go on Fallon whenever he wants, but maybe after the next few years of Buck seasons, he can get there. Um, in general, with what you said, I agree with parts of it and I disagree with some of it as well because, you know, it's all well and good to say, let's focus on the game. Let's focus on the Maui pickup game inside the chain link fence and the people who are really married to this shit for all the right reasons. I hear that. But at the same time, and look, this isn't just you. I've been sensing this mood around NBA writers, NBA fans, people I'm friends with, who people are just kind of like rolling their eyes at some of the Giannis talk and saying, look, like this is all becoming like TMZ. Let's talk about basketball. I understand that, but all of this is part of basketball, and this is stuff that people in the NBA are talking about, like who could potentially get Giannis, teams are going to be positioning themselves, and will Giannis be happy with the Bucks if they fall short again for a variety of reasons? Um, and I, so I think like I understand the impulse to focus on basketball, and I think that's one of the things that we're going to be able to do a lot more of this year since the title won't be considered a foregone conclusion for the vast majority of the season. But at the same time, I do kind of roll my eyes a little bit when everybody starts decrying the TMZification oh, of the NBA news cycle. I hear you. It's a story. Giannis's future is definitely a story. And the people who want to say, oh, he's just going to be there forever. Don't be silly. You know, we've seen this. Yeah. We've seen this story play out before. But it can't be the only story. It can't be the lead story year round. And that's where it's become, you know, that's really how it's become in the NBA. I understand grading every single contract. I've done that for years and years and years at various points of my you know writing career. I understand trying mm -hmm. to put the pieces together and try to play matchmaker and, you know, imagine in your head two years from now what it could look like if this superstar teamed up with this superstar. I completely understand that impulse, but that shouldn't be the only thing that we talk about. And I think from the league standpoint, when we're seeing big market teams tamper, be punished for it, and still get their guy, that is the worst possible yeah. look. So Adam Silver definitely had to do something and step up. And I think, um, I mean, it's a little bit big brother when you really look at like what he's capable of doing, taking people's phones, their computers, uh, you know, asking them to certify about their communications with, uh, you know, players and agents and other teams. I mean, 
I wouldn't want to deal with that. I wouldn't want to get one of these random audits that the NBA is going to be, uh, you know, submitting five teams to, you know, every year. Right. So I think from that standpoint, uh, I I think some GMs are a little shook right now. They're at least, you know, saying the right things about how they're going to try to follow the rules and, uh, you know, maybe cut out the most egregious stuff because they don't want to be made kind of a, a poster child for uh, illegal activity. Obviously, the contact is still going to take place. I'm sure it'll just be more under the table. We're not going to maybe hear about it as much. And I think that's healthy for the sport, especially during the playoff run. I mean, that's really where it bothers me the most is when we're having these fantastic playoff series, the basketball is being played at a high level and everyone else is just, you know, already moved on to what's going to happen with Giannis two years from now. I mean, we're not having that conversation with Elena Della Don during the WNBA playoffs, right? We're just focused on her incredible turnaround jumper uh, and, you know, her incredible defensive intensity. Yeah, I just think that sometimes the problem can be overstated a little bit. And I think it's going to be interesting. Like, look, if we come back in March and this is all anyone is talking about, talking about, then like then I completely agree that like the TMZification is a problem. But I think that there's a balance and things got a little bit out of whack during the KD Warriors years, in part because people just weren't as interested in what was going to happen at the top of the league. And um, I think that we're going to find sort of a a better, healthier equilibrium this year. Uh, At least that's what I hope. As far as the tampering side of things, um, I don't know. I I like the idea of them trying to crack down on some of this. But to me, there are two big problems that they're going to run into. I mean, I think the first is that I'm not even sure there's a clear agreement among teams on what needs to be solved. And... um, Mike Prada at SB Nation, when they were still kind of debating the changes, reacted to it and said, look, if you if you gave every team, if you asked every team owner to write in a sentence what the problem is with the current landscape, I'm sure you would get 30 very different answers. And, uh, and I think that's one of the issues that the NBA is going to have here is that like various teams are upset for different reasons about the way all of this works. And I don't think addressing tampering is going to really solve some of the tension that is underlying things right now. And then the second big issue is that like what he's talked about or what the league has talked about doing where they increase the fine to $10 million and they're trying to, you know, take people's cell phones, whatever. Like I'm still not convinced that that's actually going to change all that much. Um, well, you know, let to me really ask you, do though, it. Let me ask you: If you're Uncle what? Dennis and you're making these kinds of, you know, allegedly making these kinds of requests from Masai Ujiri and Steve Ballmer that are supposedly outside the bounds. I mean, this is sort of one of the the case studies that people mention, right? Does this mm-hmm. whole ramped up uh, situation? scare you off? Does it put you back into a more traditional approach if you're a player's representative where you're like, look, like this is just not going to work? Like Adam Silver understood that the wild, wild west was there a couple years ago, but it's not there any longer. Like, don't you think that that would change someone in that position's behavior or no? Um, I'm not convinced that it will in part because I think it's just going to convince people to meet in person or use a second cell phone or, you know, take some very basic measures to sidestep some of this surveillance and then solve the problem that way. And I think if the NBA wanted to seriously look into some of this stuff, you would have to start talking about decertifying agents or docking teams, cap space, voiding contracts, like 
And that's a much thornier area to be in if you're the league. And, and then you really do start to feel like we're all kind of living in a police state here. And I don't think that's healthy for the NBA. Like I think about what the NFL has turned into where there are these like months long suspension sagas, or you go back to baseball with the steroids, witch hunt, the NBA has very smartly been able to sidestep a lot of that. And, um, and look, the tampering thing, like, if you really wanted to get serious about it, they would just launch an, uh, an investigation into what happened with the Clippers this summer or what happened with the Nets. And I'm glad that they're not doing that because I think ultimately the best strategy here is to probably let sleeping dogs lie and assume that, like, this problem exists in a very specific, like, media bubble and isn't something that is necessarily going to come to, like, really harm the game in a in a meaningful way. It's a classic situation where you're investigating something that you don't actually want to know the answer to, right? It's just like Exactly. Uh so I, I do think I agree with you in general. Like whatever happened happened. All's fair and love war and tampering. Okay, in the past. Now we're moving forward. But I, I think that there's gonna be a different tone here for sure. I mean when I look back yeah. on last season and we got wrapped up in months of Lakers tampering with Anthony Davis, right? I mean, the Pelicans, looking back, like some of the angry emails that they sent and like the angry press releases they put out, like they were so justified in doing that. They could have put out you know, 10 times more than they did. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that is really bad. And that can't happen again well, if you're the NBA. It's, it's bad, but it's also like really, really difficult to prosecute. You know what I mean? I mean, because right, that's why ultimately I, I'm saying this is, most of that tampering was LeBron and AD. Right, that's what I'm saying. But I think it's more of an optics or a communications uh, fix if you're the NBA rather than actually altering behavior. If LeBron is just yeah. quietly tampering with Anthony Davis for six months straight, does Anthony Davis play out the string and play 82 games, right? Like if, if some of this stuff mm. never goes public, is the NBA better off? Are the Pelicans better off? Are the Lakers even probably better off, at least in the short term? Uh, I think the answer to those questions are yes. So if I'm Adam Silver, the situations I want to avoid are like, you know, someone, whether it's Uncle Dennis or some other, you know, hypothetical bad actor, just getting like absolutely out of control with, you know, circumventing the salary cap. I think this would help to some degree there. And I would also want to avoid the ugly sagas that could easily repeat over and over again with unhappy superstars, basically trying to force their way out of a situation by kind of trampling over, you know, previously established norms. And I do think that this approach that he's putting through right now will help with that for sure. Yeah, um, I think that there's a possibility that it would help, but ultimately, that second issue that you raised, I guess it's sort of conflated into one problem and thrown into thrown under the tampering umbrella. I think that trade demands and guys potentially not fulfilling their contract is a bigger concern than teams talking 30 days before free agency or you know whatever the Sixers did with Al Horford. I think that is less pressing in terms of like the league's bottom line. Uh, but we'll see. The one thing you you did mention was optics. The Bucks fine is so, so, so stupid. And I, I applaud the NBA if they want to get tough on tampering and, and start, just sort of remind these people that the rules exist and they will be enforced going forward and everyone needs to be on a little bit better behavior. That makes sense to me. But you know, Silver said something that was pretty perceptive when he talked about all this in Vegas over the summer. And he said, essentially, like when there are specific laws on the books that don't make sense, 
it undermines the rule of law more generally. And obviously none of these are real laws, but even in this little tampering bubble, the idea of fining a team for talking about paying its own franchise player is so ridiculous that it becomes harder for people to take any of this seriously. And certainly like with a fine to Giannis, the natural reaction or the fine to the Bucks, that is, the natural reaction is to to sit here and be like, all right, so the Bucks are being punished. Meanwhile, the Nets were able to get KD and Kyrie, however they got those guys. The Clippers did whatever the Clippers did. And so that's the that's the deal where like if anything, my only hope is that the NBA stops putting forth these stupid like $50,000 fines or even $500,000 to Magic for talking on The Tonight Show. Like none of that stuff really matters one way or the other. I, I hear what you're saying. I guess I just kind of go the other way with it. Like I do think that uh, if you are going to allow any public comments or you're going to be take a looser approach to the public comments, I think that you're encouraging people to you know, blur the lines and dip into the gray area more regularly. Mm. Um, I do hear what you're saying completely where like, you know, if you're in Milwaukee, especially if they wind up losing Giannis in two years, John Horse is going to be looking around like, what the heck? I mean, he's going to be <laughs> in that like Sam Presti category where it's just like all the entire league infrastructure is, you know, working against me. I'm never going to be able to succeed in this environment. And I would uh, understand his frustration. That's why I go back to you know, tamper with a little more swag, John. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> don't hang out at the town hall. Get yourself on a television show and make a big deal about it. Maybe have some, you know, helicopters or planes with like a sign behind it that says like Jan is 250 million and just like fly that over <laughs> downtown Milwaukee and Lake Michigan uh, to really send your message. But uh, yeah, assign the little Antetokounmpo brother, give him like number 250 for training camp. It was unfortunate because you could tell he was dancing around the answer too. And so it does feel like a gotcha moment from the league office where they're trying to like kind of set a, a new um, example for what should be allowed and what shouldn't be. But ultimately, if we don't have the GMs uh, or owners or front office people publicly commenting about contracts two years in the future, I think we're all better off for that. You know, I think everybody realizes yeah. Milwaukee appreciates Giannis. He can go out there and say, I want Giannis to be uh, a buck for life. You know, we're, we're fully committed to keeping him in Milwaukee. You just can't go that extra step and say, we're going to offer him, you know, a Supermax contract on July 1 at midnight or whatever. Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Okay, I can get behind that. And I, I do understand the value of 
using the Bucks uh, as an example to the league and saying, look, we're going to take this really seriously. People have to follow the rules. I do think that it sort of undermines the whole system um, when you do stuff like that. Though. Well, look, it, suck, but, it sucks for them too. And I'm sure Adam was like, probably called John and was like, bro, why did you do that? Like, I don't want to find you for this. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, moving on here. Sean Devaney, uh, Boston reporter, says sources say that chances are, quote unquote, pretty slim on an extension between the Celtics and Jalen Brown. So quickly here, Ben, I'm curious, would you give a max extension to Jalen Brown, Pascal Siakam or Brandon Ingram? The deadline for those deals to be signed is October 21st, I believe. So what do you think of, of those three situations? I would give one to Pascal. I would probably not, but think pretty hard about giving one to Ingram. I would definitely want to talk to his camp and just kind of figure out like how invested is he in the idea of playing with Zion long-term? Is he going to be a piece mm-hmm. that wants to stay? I would really want to feel him out um, before you know getting ready to put up that money. And with Jalen, I wouldn't. The Jalen situation is interesting. It reminds me a lot of kind of like history repeating itself of the Jimmy Butler situation five years ago. You remember when Jimmy was coming up for his extension, the Bulls didn't give it to him. Uh, He was coming off a season where he averaged 13, 4, and 2. Jalen's coming off a season here where he averaged 13, 4, and 1. You know, kind of similar players where, okay, they're more known for their defense earlier in their career, their energy. um, They project as very, very high level, you know, potentially all defense type guys. Um, you know, going forward, but the questions were on offense. For Jimmy, remember his mantra was bet on myself. And he basically doubled the value of, you know, from the offer that Chicago made early to the one that he wound up getting by breaking through as this dynamic all around scoring threat. And I think the question with Jalen is, you know, does he have that in him, right? Like if he's going to be, you know, taking this bet on myself approach, uh, if he doesn't have extra layers to his offensive game, and frankly, I just haven't seen them. I haven't even really seen him want to have those things necessarily in terms of ball handling, orchestration, yeah. uh, creating off the dribble, you know, that type of stuff. Then I don't really ever see that max money necessarily being uh, there for him. Now, it could be one of those situations where there's just one team that falls in love with him and he gets a big deal in restricted free agency. But if I was the Celtics, I would say go ahead and bet on yourself. You know, we're not going to just throw crazy money at you. Go out there and prove it this season. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is he's definitely going to get a max offer next summer. And Are you so, sure? Well, I mean, if you're a team like the Atlanta Hawks and you can look at the next few years and say, all right, so we're not going to sign a max free agent. We're not going to sign Giannis. We're not going to sign Kevin Durant, that, that tier of player giving max money to someone like Jalen Brown makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I, I think that there are going to be a handful of teams, particularly because it's just such a thin well, free agent class hold on, next Hold on year. one second. Do you want to give max money to a player like Jalen Brown or give max money to Jalen Brown? Because those two things are different, right? Like I think there's this concept among the green-eyed Celtics media, which includes yourself, about <laughs> how great a player like Jalen Brown could be, right? No, well, let's talk hold about up, hold let's up, talk about up. real Jalen Brown. Do you want to give real Jalen Brown no, no, next no. contract? Let me take my green glasses off for a second here, because you threw out the Jimmy Butler comparison to Jalen Brown, and people have been doing that with this dude for the last couple years. 
They've been comparing his numbers to Paul George, comparing his numbers to Jimmy Butler. Jalen Brown doesn't really dribble. He doesn't really create. And um, he's, a, he's a decent shooter. He's a better shooter in the NBA than I, I expected him to be. But if you're expecting him to make a leap to become a Jimmy Butler, Paul George type guy, I just don't really see him ever making that transformation in large part because he's not able to be very creative off the dribble. So I don't really put him in that category at all. Well, but I, I, if I were Atlanta, what I would say is like, yes, we want this Jalen Brown. We, we're not signing you. We're, we understand it's an overpay. Kind of in the same way that like, Otto Porter helps fill things out in Chicago, even though he's overpaid by eight to ten million dollars. If I'm the Hawks, I could justify it just by saying, "Look, this is a a solid B plus wing who could be the third or fourth best player on a really good team." So let's bring him in to try and kind of raise our floor a little bit. Yeah, no, I think you were right. Like, he's not going to make a Jimmy Butler type leap. I don't see him being that dynamic offensive player. I was just comparing the points they're at in their careers in terms of, okay, here's what they've actually yeah. accomplished on the court. Here's what their current profile is. And here's why they might want to bet on themselves. Because I don't think if you're based just solely on what he's already done on the court and how he projects on his current track, you can't make an argument for a max contract if you're the Celtics. And you shouldn't, you know? I understand he's been a good soldier. He's been through, you know, a fair number of of roster transitions and you know changes of direction there in Boston but if I'm Danny I don't look at Jalen Brown as like this lot you know piece I have to just lock in for the next five years and he's going to be a Celtic for life and all that like he's just not that guy yeah see I would want to lock him in just because he's good not because I think he's ever going to be great right but, but you don't I, pay just, good players max money you know like well, sometimes yeah, you do. Well, I, you do if, if you're if the, Celtics the Celtics and you never actually get out of the Eastern Conference, you know? Like if you want to just If I were Boston, I would exit. I would move I would pay Jalen because to go back to the Jimmy, the one place where that is like a, a pretty useful analogy is the relationship between player and team. Jimmy's relationship with the, with the Bulls was screwed up as soon as they wouldn't offer him the money that he wanted and it just it got kind of got all twisted up from there. I forget some of the specifics, but I think even the year after they were kind of like playing hardball a little bit and it was just kind of a strange situation. Well, there was the tension that, between um, him and Derek too. It's like whose team's it going to be and like, you know, he yeah. he's the one putting up the all-star numbers, but they're still trying to kind of have Derek be the guy and yeah. Yeah, so it, if, if the Celtics were to look at Jalen Brown as like a long-term piece, there is some value in paying him now, particularly since you know that he's going to go get a max offer next summer. But um, if I were them, I would pay Jalen and move heaven and earth to uh, send Hayward elsewhere so that you your team is not suddenly this like $300 million six seed, but you can also kind of lock in Jalen and Tatum and have a, a young core to build around over the next few years. We'll see what they do. They're definitely not going to give him max money uh, well, and I, partly on principle probably. Yeah, I think that I, if I was the Celtics front office, I would have been going into that FIBA World Cup with an open mind saying like, all right, Jalen, yeah. show me who you can be. You're playing against lesser competition over there. They need offense, you know, from wherever they can get it. So go show, show us what type of player you really are. And um, I would have watched the FIBA World Cup, but I would have said, cool, let's just wait until next summer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk July 2020. That's fair. Very quickly, though, can I just say, 
I would definitely pay Brandon Ingram. I would check on his health, obviously. That's a huge factor in all of this um, and, and may be one reason that he's willing to take slightly less than the max. But if I'm the Pelicans, I would try to lock him up in part because he would continue to have trade value even after you pay him. Um, and you know, if you, if you sign him to a five-year deal, I think you could still move him and get back some decent assets. Uh, the question I have is like whether he actually does fit with Zion Williamson um, because like his weaknesses, he has a lot of the same weaknesses as Zion. I still maintain that Brandon Ingram is good and can be an all-star. I'm not moving from that island, no matter what you want to tell me. I think he's good in a lot of kind of a lot of ways that some of the more overprogrammed wings of his generation aren't. Uh, he's got some shake to him in the mid range. He can get to the rim whenever he needs to. Yeah. And his jumper, uh, I'm still a believer. Well, so I not I hear you disgusted on the other line here. But no, I'm uh, just saying he can create a bad shot whenever he wants. He could definitely do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't know about getting to the rim. I don't know where you're where you're getting to that. I mean, every once in a he while he can get to the rim. Yeah. He gets to the line fairly frequently I mean, if for they, a player. If they spread the entire court out <laughs> last year for him, and they take every center off the court, then he can get to the rim. I mean, let's let's see what happens. Like you're saying, when he's playing with Zion. Uh, or other guys who are non-shooters there in New Orleans, how often is he really getting to the rim? I think that's a, a big open question for him this season. Um, yeah. I don't think we've actually argued, you and I, that much about what his ceiling is. I think he could be a really, really good player too. What I've really just been kind of pounding on is, let's see the short-term progress here, right? Like year to year, mm-hmm. where are we really seeing clear steps forward? Is he modernizing his game? Is he stepping out to the three-point line? Is he understanding what's a good shot, not a good shot? Um, and those things just really weren't happening in LA. You can blame that environment. I think he's got a good coach down there in New Orleans. I think he's got a really smart front office who's going to be, you know, trying to make him work there because I do think he's so young and uh, the physical skills are are so delicious uh, in a way that he could be part of a really interesting kind of captivating core if it works out. So uh, I like the situation there for him. I hope he likes that situation too. I would be worried if I was New Orleans, like, is he cool with being part of, you know, the Zion supporting cast, right? Like, does he like this particular market? Does he like this franchise? Because it's a huge commitment and you want guys who are all in. And it's just a different situation between the uh, the Celtics and the Pelicans, right? Like, I think the Celtics, it's like you're, you're kind of established as this premier brand. Guys have wanted to play there. They've been able to have some success in free agency in recent years. They have a long track record of winning. That really hasn't been the case in New Orleans, and it's so early in their relationship, and he is coming off the pretty serious health concern that mm-hmm. I wouldn't be rushing into that deal, even though I do think that ultimately he's going to be paid pretty close to max money, if not max money. Yeah, I, I would pay it to engender goodwill and know that you can eventually move it down the line if you need to. Um, oh, remember, but that's what they did up in Minnesota. It doesn't always work with Wiggins. Yeah, Wiggins is the ultimate counterexample there. Um, yeah, I hear you. I I would be beating the drum day and night about a Brandon Ingram breakout season if he had gone somewhere other than New Orleans. The New Orleans situation could be tricky with him and how he fits next to Zion. And so we'll wait and see. We'll see if the Pelicans wait and see. Uh but um, I'm excited. I'm one of the 75 people who still think he can be a star. 
So I and I have at least another year and a half of convincing myself of that. So we'll see what happens this year. I mean, the Pelicans are basically impossible to make sense of right now. But with that, Ben, let's keep it moving. And first, today's show is brought to us by Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos. Over 450,000 families have trusted Legacy Box, and they offer over a decade of experience. All their work is done by hand right here in the United States. All you have to do is send them your Legacy Box full of your old home movies and pictures. They'll do the rest, professionally digitizing your moments onto a thumb drive, digital download, or DVD. Every item they send you back will include easy-to-follow instructions and safety barcodes, ensuring that you receive all your original recorded moments back, along with perfectly preserved digital copies. Ben, this sounds like a great gift for like a, a mom or dad, anyone in your family. This is a great idea. Tell me a little bit more. It's a great gift for anyone, Andrew. I was digging through the crates with some great pictures from us during the 2016 finals. You know, you're hugging a poster (laughs) of Matthew Della Vadova, and both of us look so young and vibrant as we're recording a podcast at a hotel in downtown Cleveland. You don't want these memories to go to waste, Andrew. You've got to save your family films and photos from degrading or being lost forever. Lots of people are unable to play their recordings because they don't have a VCR anymore or their camcorder is broken. But Andrew, you can be the family hero. Bring back lost memories to watch and see again. Experience the joy and nostalgia of reliving the glory days of you and Matthew Della Vadova. It will give you peace of mind and a great sense of accomplishment, ensuring that your family history is preserved forever. Plus, you can get organized and clean out your closet full of old camcorder tapes and aging film reels. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com today to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com save to get 40% off your first order. Go to LegacyBox.com save and save 40% today. Get started preserving your past. LegacyBox.com save. 40% is big time. G- generally, these promos are like 10%, 15%, 40% is meaningful. So go check it out. And um, yes, shout out to our memories in 2016 Cleveland. Shout out to Matthew Delvadova. Um, let's get back into it, Ben. Stavros asks, would the Phoenix Suns make the playoffs in the East? What do you think? It's a great question. I mean, very sly and, and kind of, uh, you know... Uh, Western Conference elitist from Stavros. Andrew, I'm curious, though. I mean, there's been a lot of hand-wringing about the state of the NBA, what our TV rating is going to be like this year. And I'm just curious, like, do you think the NBA league office has considered expanding into the major, uh, you know, markets of the Eastern Seaboard? Like, to me, it just makes so much sense for them to put a professional basketball team in, like, New York or Washington, D.C., <laughs> or Atlanta, or Charlotte, or really any of these cities. I mean, there's so many people who live on the East Coast, and yet they don't. Ha- there's basically one professional team, the Philadelphia 76ers, that we could actually hold up and say, hey, congratulations, uh, you, know, you guys are worth watching. Otherwise, the entire coast has to just sit back and watch semi-pro basketball. There you go. I, I knew I could count on you to 
climb up on that high horse and get rolling here. Honestly, as as far as your season is concerned, I'm not sure that you will ever top last week's episode where you said that sunsets are Eastern Conference All-Stars and sunrises <laughs> are Western Conference All-Stars. That uh, you may have peaked it, in mid-September. It's never uh, been more true, though. I mean, you, even you could admit the disparity is pretty rough this year, right? Like, I read your column well, about the Chicago Bulls. I thought it was a great call. Maybe we could talk about it more later. But you're making this big, passionate argument that they're going to make in the playoffs. And in the very last paragraph, you bury the fact that their over-under is 32.5. I'm sitting there reading your column, and I'm thinking, these guys can go under and still make the playoffs. 32 wins could get you in the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. You are the worst. To answer the question at hand, the Suns are not a team I trust in any shape or form. I'm sorry. The idea that DeAndre Ayton is out here talking about playing power forward, it just like does not inspire confidence. Aaron Baines, I, I feel bad that he's been marooned in Phoenix here. He's the type of guy who could help like 15 different playoff teams, yeah, feels, and he's stuck on the Suns. It feels like a future Laker, doesn't it? I, maybe. Maybe so. Um, but like Rubio and Devin Booker, I just – they they paid Oubre a lot of money. I don't understand. I don't I don't know what his market could have been beyond Phoenix. Um so I'm not out, I'm not on the Suns bandwagon, even if they were magically moved to the Eastern Conference. I don't think that they would crack the playoffs. We could talk about the Bulls for a second here. I am a believer, and this was me kind of trusting my, my instincts. Like this time last year, I wanted to say that I thought Trey Young could be better than Luka Doncic, which is still considered a ludicrous take in certain circles. Um, but along those lines, along the, the ludicrous lines here, I do think that the Bulls could make some noise in the playoffs. And there are really only five teams in the East that I definitively trust this year. And I think that sort of the chaos in the middle of the East is going to create an opportunity for Chicago to potentially make a run. They have to stay healthy, but if they're healthy, that starting five has a pretty high offensive upside. And... Um, you look at a team like the Pistons, like I don't trust Blake to be healthy all year. It'd be great if he was, obviously, uh, but I don't trust Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose. And then like Orlando, people are all over the map on the Magic right now, but you look at their rotation on the perimeter and it's like real, real dicey. Obviously, Terrence Ross played pretty well last year. DJ Augustine played well. Neither one of those guys are, are players that I would trust to replicate what they did last season. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, there are a number of teams that are going to be between like 35 and 45 wins. And I like the Bulls' chances out there. Okay, so Chicago, I believe, was 29th last year in offense, 25th in defense. So on one or both of the sides of the basketball, they're going to have to make some pretty big improvement. Like where? what's their formula for them making this jump? Like, is it they get to competent on offense, they still kind of suck on defense, but that's enough? Or is it Boylan turns the screws, gets them to be a mediocre defensive team and they're grinding out these ugly wins? Or is it they're just like kind of passably bad on both sides and they're able to just kind of grind out enough wins against the rest of the Eastern Conference dregs? Like, what's the formula that you see? 
Well, they need a big-time season from Lowry Markkinen, which I think is possible. This is sort of a, a make-or-break. I don't want to say make-or-break, but it's a big year for Lowry insofar as like if he's going to be a superstar, this is the year we're going to start to see him kind of enter that tier, and, and not even superstar, all-star level. Um, I, and I think it's doable. I think Lowry could go make an all-star team this year. So well, that's well, number well, one. Well. He, and he granted, could go make a giant asterisk. Hold on, hold on. He <laughs> could go make an Easter Conference All Star team. Let's not okay. let's not be silly. Okay, he can go make a sunset. Fair enough. He could make a sunset. Uh, but I think that their offensive upside with Lowry there, with Levine there, and with Otto Porter there is pretty high. I think Saturansi is going to help as a creator. And um, I mentioned this in the column, like the one month where all those guys were out there on the court together, Chicago had the second best offensive rating in the NBA. So I think that's that's how you sell it. Now, the issue is, particularly with crappy teams at the bottom of each conference, the way to raise your floor is by playing defense every night. And that's that's how Orlando was able to make the playoffs last year. And Chicago's defense... I mean, Levine is really bad on that end. Lowry isn't horrible, but it's hard to build a really good defense around him. And Wendell Carter Jr. was hurt for half the year last year, so it's hard to know what they're going to get from him on that end. But they did add Thaddeus Young. Otto is half decent. So, like, they will have to be at least passable on defense. But offensively, they're going to be better than a lot of the teams they're competing with um, for those final few spots. Yeah, I'm going to come back to the, the Bulls breakdown in a second. But just one thing from I was reading your column and you're mentioning like the ludicrous Trey Young take and all this. Have I ever told you how much you remind me of Ariana Grande? Like, I don't know if you've oh, heard God. her recent album, but like, obviously she has like an angelic voice, right? Like she's hitting high notes that like boys, obviously, boys, boys choirs <laughs> can only dream of, right? But she has this one song where on the chorus, she like bellows it, like almost to the point of just belching it. Like she lowers her voice, right? To really make the impact. And I'm not going to try to sing it, but basically the chorus is, I have a bad idea. And she likes to just like scream out loud <laughs> at the top of her lungs that she has a bad idea. And usually like we don't have to be in office meetings too often, but usually if, if you're in like an office meeting type environment and someone in the room has a bad idea, they don't shout uh -huh. it out and just go nuts with it. They just kind of like waddle into it, right? They just like float it out there trial balloon it see what you know just kind of very carefully tentatively put it out there in the ether and one thing i just yeah. incredibly respect about you is that if you do have a bad idea and i'm not necessarily saying bulls make the playoffs is a bad idea but you have an ariana way about you where if you if you firmly believe something that may be wrong you just run with it you you, you put your stake in the ground you go with it and i think more people should follow your example on that myself included well, here's the thing, Ben. Look, this podcast is a pro-take environment. And we're out here having fun and saying interesting things. We could definitely, I could definitely half-ass it and say, look, the Bulls are going to be better than people think. <laughs> like, they could win 36 or 37 games this year. But fuck that, all right? It's late September. Let's have a little fun. Let's mix it up. The Bulls are going to make the NBA playoffs. Trey is going to be better than Luca. Ariana Grande, I don't have a take. I, I apologize here. I have never heard a single one of her songs. Uh, actually, no. 
Didn't she, she had like, God is a woman or what if God is a woman? She, she did have that. You know, I haven't heard that many songs this year, but Bloodline might have the beat of the year on, on her current album. Just <laughs> floating that one out there. I haven't heard that many beats, but it's pretty good. I'm just saying she rides with her ideas, good or bad. She, well, look, Ariana Grande, I'm not sure how to feel about the comparison. She kind of creeps me out because she has this vibe Careful. where she dresses and talks like she's like 14 years old. And I think she's in her mid-20s. And I don't really understand what she's going for or who out there is into that. Yeah, but, that part um, doesn't remind me of you, okay? I'm not calling you like a <laughs> okay, tween <good. laughs> girl. I'm just saying that like, you know, you stand behind what you're, what you're putting out there. Um, in terms All of right. your goals comparison, your column... You pointed to the Pacers from a couple years ago making a huge leap over their projected win-loss total. Then you pointed to the Orlando Magic from last year making a huge leap over their projected win-loss total and said, hey, look, like there is a track record of this happening in the Eastern Conference. Every once in a while, a team breaks through. Just one thing I wanted to point out on that was both of those years, um, I think a lot of the attention went to, oh, the team's just grinding out these wins. You know, you've got these defensive-minded coaches and Nate McMillan and Clifford just kind of like squeezing, you know, as, as much as he possibly can from the group. That was definitely true. Mm-hmm. But both those teams also had guys who finished really, really high in real plus-minus, like just absolutely killed it from the impact stat perspective. Of course, Oladipo in Indiana, but also Vucevic in Orlando, where like last year – by the advanced stats, Vucevic was like a top 10 guy. And of course, most people wouldn't say, hey, you know, he's a top 10 player in the league. That would be overstating it. But in terms of the quality of the regular season minutes, the impact he was having when he was on the court, it was off the charts. So the one thing that had me a little bit nervous when I was, you know, trying to extend those uh, examples and apply them to the Bulls, I don't know if I see a guy on that team who has that kind of uh, ability to go from being a very good player previously to a great player by the impact stats like I don't think Zach Levine's ever going to be a great player by the impact stats because the defense is so bad I'm not sure if Lowry is going to be such an amazing offensive talent that he's going to be on that level again compensating probably for minus defense uh, I like Thaddeus Young for sure uh, I think he's going to factor yeah. into any playoff formula for the Bulls is going to be very reliant upon Thaddeus Young right um, not sure he's going to be on that level. I think it's pretty safe to say. So that was one hangup that I had where uh, you kind of need that breakout star performer type leader guy to lead a team as high as you're kind of hoping that they'll go. And I'm just a little skeptical of their group. Yeah, well, the breakouts would have to be Levine and Lowry as far as scoring and and kind of raising their ceiling as a collective. I think both of those guys... Levine has to stay healthy and uh, and I think if he can be a little bit more consistent from three this year like he could be really solid but he is someone who is going to benefit from having his responsibilities limited and like where Levine becomes wildly counterproductive is when you're asking him to be your creator on offense and and then you also have to factor in his defensive limitations but like I think if you're just saying all right we want you to score and we're going to hand the point guard responsibilities to Tomas Sadoransky, who is a significant upgrade over Chris Dunn. Like, that can actually work out okay. And then Lowry, his skill set is kind of narrow, so he just needs to be great at what he's good at, And um, which sounds like something like an NFL announcer would say, so I apologize. But, like, he just needs to be a better scorer than he has been. He needs to take more shots. He needs to 
be a little bit better from three. He's hit 36% over the last few years, which is good. But if he can hit like 39 or 40, uh, they're going to be in much better shape. And the main thing is to close this off. I hear you on the winning player side of it. I do think that like Thad Young, Otto Porter, and Sadoransky can can be those guys who um, who help kind of tip the scales and. Mainly, I just like that Chicago is kind of investing in their young guys and surrounding them with players who are going to give them a chance to, to actually win something and play meaningful basketball for the first time in three years. If those three guys all have like very good, if not career years, um, I can see this team being uh, you know, on that playoff bubble or getting in. And I can also see myself pounding my head against my desk when everybody's giving Levine the credit for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like I think well, I think their playoff formula really does start with those three vets who you just mentioned. Um and then if yeah. Lowry breaks through, and I think that's possible. Like I don't like Lowry as much as you do, but there's definitely some stuff there, right? Um yeah. then I think that's you know, then they're trending in the right direction. I, I you know, I'm still kind of skeptical overall, though. We'll we'll see. They have a lot of work to do. Like, I think it's very easy to forget how horrible their offense was over the course of that entire season last year. Um, and, you know, their defense, I mean, there was weeks where they were just completely checked out. So I think that <laughs> that comes back to the veteran leaders who you're describing of just setting a different tone, right? Like this is a new era and we'll see if that happens. Well, and there's also, I mean, look, I'm not sure how much faith I'm ready to put in Boylan at this point as the, sort of the architect who's going to make sense of all this and unlock the best version of Lowry Markinen and figure out how to limit Zach Levine and get the best out of him. So, like, look, there's a lot of question marks that you have to confront if you're trying to pick the Bulls to make the playoffs. But it's more fun and really more than anything else this is the last gasp of Wizards fandom for me. I'm following Otto and Sadoransky to Chicago, and I'm riding with this Bulls bandwagon as far as it will go. Yeah, you'll and, you'll um, cheer for a, a pathetic seventh seed, no matter the color or the stripes. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Uh, All I'm right. just kidding. Well, hey, uh, I do think, though, this will be a year where Chicago separates themselves from a team like New York, right? Like, I think they've been in kind yeah, of definitely. a similar situation these last couple of years. I think New York's in for a really long, ugly season, right? And I think that there could... Well, the Bulls have a coherent plan. The The Knicks are just a mess. I mean, I, I'm still pissed off at them for the, the moves they made. Everybody, I mean, look, it's it's been a running joke. Like, they added six power forwards. No, but that's not a running joke. Time, that's true. They did that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is fact. It's documented. But, like, I don't know how you draft... R.J. Barrett, and then decide to, to surround him with a bunch of guys who, I mean, Julius Randle is fine. They just should have stopped at Julius Randle. I don't think it was as catastrophic that they didn't sign Kevin Durant, but some of the moves they made afterwards were just crazy to me, and it, it in, in large part because of what it means for R.J. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think there's going to be a level of professionalism and uh, camaraderie in Chicago that won't be there in New York. And when you go back to last year and we're making all these boiling jokes and we're reliving middle school basketball practices and, you know, all the other horrors of puberty and when we're trying to like make yep. sense of their environment, uh, I think they're going to be in a different place this year. I'm with you a hundred percent. And with that, Ben, let's keep it moving. Today's show is also brought to us by Noom. Some people think that all diet and weight loss plans are the same 
but that's because they haven't tried Noom. Noom is a new, totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help you change your habits, making it easy to lose weight and keep it off for good. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Noom. There's no better feeling, Andrew, than when the the season turns and it's finally fall, officially fall, and you want to go get that new tech fleece and you can go down a size because you've been taking care of business during the summer. Noom is here to help you with those life goals. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. It's just as simple to get started. Go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom can help you lose your old way of thinking about food and dieting. What do you have to lose besides the weight? Visit noom.com slash podcast. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast. N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast and start your 14-day trial today. Change your habits, change your mind, change for good with Noom. There you go. Go get that tech fleece, everyone. Um Tom says, I don't understand Milwaukee's offseason. They chose to pay Brooke Bledsoe, 20, Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe, $27.6 million, but refused to pay Brogdon $20 million when Brogdon is by far the best of those players. Brooke is older. He's coming off of shaky playoffs and was unplayable in FIBA. Or you can look at the newly signed depth of George Hill, Robin Lopez, Wes Matthews, all of whom add up to $16.3 million. Can you make sense of prioritizing lesser talent? Um, now, Ben, I've included this just to say that, like, I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week who works for another team who did look at the Bucks offseason and say, like, I just don't understand. I don't understand how you do that with a title sitting right there. And there were wait, questions wait, wait. about Brogdon's health. Do what, though? Pick the people they uh, pick to pay or bring in the— Not pay Brogdon. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And so I just, it's one of those things that we've talked about enough at this point. We don't need to beat a dead horse. But that Bucks franchise is so much more valuable because of Giannis that not doing anything and not doing everything you can to invest in Giannis's title potential while he's there is just really irresponsible and crazy to me. And um, and I wouldn't blame. Like I don't think Giannis is pissed off, but he maybe should be because because of all the value that he has created for that team. You know, and, I can um, sen- not going into the tax. I can makes sense, no sense something in your voice. I mean, you're saying, oh, maybe Giannis is pissed off. Don't you really want to say that you, as you know, Giannis Inc. CEO, you're pissed off? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? I am pissed off. I really am. It's just completely irrational that they would look at a tax bill and say, no, you know what? We're fine. We're going to take our chances paying George Hill $10 million instead of $20 million to Brogdon. Like, that's insane to me. Again, the title is winnable. Do everything you can while that window is open because it won't be open forever. God knows. Like, Bradley Beal could end up on the Nets in a year, and your your window in the East could look very different. So... That being said, the one justification that I will accept is that there is another move coming. So I ask you, from Faisal, he says, what do you guys think of a Chris Paul to the Bucks trade? Is it doable? 
What do you think of that? Well, before we get to the Chris Paul thing, let me go back to the other question. Uh, I think to a certain degree, we're being a little overreactive when we are nitpicking each of the individual uh, players that they did choose to pay, right? Like if they make it to the finals last year, I think that the narrative around Brooke Lopez is different. I think the narrative around keeping George Hill and going out and getting Robin Lopez and even the Wesley Matthews edition, like those all start to look better. And as we've talked about previously, the gap between Toronto and Milwaukee in that Eastern Conference Finals was not as big as it seemed by the end of it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that um, you can definitely question why they didn't just pay Brogdon. You can definitely go back and question why did they pay Bledsoe early knowing that Brogdon was going to be getting a lot of money if you'd probably rather have Brogdon than Bledsoe, right? Or why did they pay Bledsoe before the playoffs to see if his anxiety and all that stuff was going to pop back up at the worst possible moment and he was going to turn into a guy who couldn't really handle uh, the toughest situations? And and on that point, they got a really good deal on Bledsoe. So like, I understand why they, they were able to compromise before the playoffs and assume some of the risk that he wasn't going to be what they needed in playoffs in, in, in the playoffs in exchange for what was at the time considered a bit of a discount. So like the, the logic on that front is fine as far as I'm concerned. It just is a matter of like, I, I'm not sure what you're saving that money for as, as far as not paying Brogdon. Like he's just an extra, extra piece who could help. And I look at like, pictures of of Wes Matthews I like Wes Matthews but pictures of Wes Matthews in a Bucks uniform and you you realize that he's going to be like a key piece for them this year and that doesn't necessarily bode well I don't know no I hear you for sure and I think that if I could change anything about what they did this summer I would have said just pay Brogdon he's definitely a tradable piece at his current price too right like it's not like he cashed out to the degree where he's not an asset so um, I'm on board with that part of the emailer. I just think that some of these other things, he was presenting them in a little bit too much of a glasses half empty light based on how well these pieces fit together last season. And l- let's remember that too. Giannis is the kind of guy who is able to get you know greater than the sum of his parts from his teammates because he plays incredibly hard on defense. He's a team-oriented player on defense, and he's a team-oriented player who attracts all sorts of attention and makes life easier for all of his teammates on office. He's an unselfish leader. He's a team first guy. He's committed to the craft. All of those things are really important. And that's why when you try to nitpick these individual players, that doesn't really tell the accurate story. I mean, Milwaukee did win 60 mm-hmm. games last year with this group. They're going to win an awful lot of games with this same group heading into uh, this upcoming season. Now, yeah. in terms of... I just think one thing though, First of all, you're right. Giannis made Brogdon look much better than he actually is, and I don't think that Brogdon's going to be anything that special in Indiana. It's just an extra piece for a team that should really only be worried about what happens in late May and June when someone like Brogdon would have value and will almost certainly have more value than George Hill or West. Look, Matthews. the bottom line is the two words we associate Milwaukee Bucks ownership with, Wall Street. You don't get to be a Wall Street right. broke boy and have Giannis on your roster. So just pay up, all right? So that hundred <laughs> exactly. percent. Well, we don't need to like twist it around. Three hundred millions. They like I. The numbers are insane, and when you look at the way the value of that franchise has changed, obviously that's not all Giannis. But this is a team that was considering relocation five years ago, and then Giannis shows up, and now suddenly they have a new arena. The team is exciting. It's nationally relevant. 
And so to turn around and start pinching pennies when a title is is within reach is just fucking crazy it, to me. But it is what it is. Look, I said this previously that Bud is no longer a friend. He's an adversary in terms of Giannis's minutes management. I feel the same way about Buck's ownership, and I feel the same way about John Horst. The honeymoon is over, guys. We rode with you <laughs> very, very hard last year. Giannis Inc. was in lockstep with you. It produced an Eastern Conference Finals trip. It produced an MVP. It produced a new Nike shoe. Giannis Inc. investors were very pleased, but we're not satisfied, yeah. right? We want to take the Absolutely. next step. We want to see Giannis get the title. We want to see Giannis crowned as the de facto best player in basketball where everyone agrees and we can absolutely look at their moves to date and say okay they're putting uh, they're still putting a lot on Giannis's shoulders by the way I don't know if you've seen the Giannis picks you know coming out of Milwaukee but his biceps are so big it looks like he's got a beating heart in each arm I'm not even kidding (laughs) this guy put on another 20 pounds of muscle during the summer I'm just making that number up but that's what it looks like he, he yeah. is the leader that you need. Please support this guy. And, and on the topic of bringing in a player like Chris Paul, swinging for the fences with a move like that, I love it. You know, I absolutely love it. I think that there's going to be some pushback from especially people in Milwaukee or, or Bucks fans or even just fans of, of small market, you know, superstars who, who don't want to say, hey, you know, these guys are going to be leaving at the first chance they get. I don't think that's the dynamic in Milwaukee. I don't think he's got one foot out the door by any stretch, mm-hmm. but you don't get to play with seasons. You have to have, you know, foot uh, on the gas all the time when it comes to assembling talent around Giannis, doing it as quickly as possible. This is not a five-year plan. This is a season-by-season plan right. for them right now. And going out there and swinging big for a player like Chris Paul, who's got the experience uh, in the playoffs, uh, who has the savvy, who's definitely an upgrade over Bledsoe in those kinds of situations, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm on board. Let's go do it. Good. Well, that's how they can win me back. I'm still generally pro-Bucks, uh, but I want to see them make a move to at least sort of uh, balance out the Brogdon deal because Brogdon's not, you know, it's not the end of the world to lose Brogdon, but to replace him with George Hill and Wes Matthews and Robin Lopez is um, pretty underwhelming. I think Chris Paul could be awesome there. They would have to package together some of this floatsome and, you know, Eric Bledsoe, whatever, um, and they would have to bank on OKC just not really having any other suitors for him and, and just wanting to get off that money. But I think it's like within the realm of possibility and it would make a lot of sense for them. So I'm glad that you're on board as well because I still think Chris Paul is is pretty good. Yeah, definitely. And I also just think like big picture, Milwaukee has enough talent there to be a top two seed in the East period, right? It should be them versus Philadelphia. And I think both those organizations coming into this season are in no excuses mode. Anything short of a hard fought Eastern Conference Finals uh, is a failure for Philadelphia, and it would be a failure for Milwaukee as well. And that's the state of the conference. That's the state of their current talent level. I think you saw Milwaukee aggressive at last year's trade deadline, trying to be in the buyout market. I expect they'll try to do those kinds of things around the uh, around the edges as well to solidify for another uh, playoff run. Uh, but I love this idea of Horse being, you know, super aggressive and looking to, you know, find a, a true, you know, superstar level number two guy uh, to put next to Giannis because, um, you know, that Philadelphia matchup, you know, does scare me uh, from Milwaukee's perspective. Yeah. Um, and I also just think the clock is really ticking and they're going to look back at and say, we blew it in 2018 or 2019 if Giannis does leave a couple years from now. 
Yeah, well, and I do think that like the most likely scenario, and we should make a pledge to not t- t- uh, talk too much about Giannis's free agency this year, just because you're you're you were right at the top of the show. Basketball is more fun than some of this stuff. I think the most likely scenario is that Giannis signs a short-term extension in two years and will stay for an extra three or whatever and see where they are at that point. Um, but in general, the Bucks should still be doing everything they possibly can to just go get that title. Um, closing things out here, Ben. Podium quickly. Barack says... Hey guys, I just wanted to say rest in peace to the age-old tradition of height fixing. Whose height do you think is going to surprise us the most now that the NBA has changed the rules and all these players have to have certified heights and weights? Um, Ben, I don't have an answer here. I'm just curious as to how this process is actually going to work. Like, are are teams going to have to send like photo evidence of some equipment manager measuring every player. I'm not sure like how this is going to be any more scientific than it was in the past. I think they're going to have the NFL guy who was measuring, you know, the deflate gate footballs. I think he's in charge. (laughs) (laughs) He's just going to go around, visit all 30 teams. The the guys who I'm most interested in, obviously are the people way on the outer perspectives, right? Like Porzingis, Uh what's Porzingis's real height or Isaiah Thomas. What's Isaiah Thomas's real height? Like, it could come back. Isaiah Thomas could be five four, and it wouldn't surprise me. You know what I mean? Like, th- you know, the other th- the other guy that I would be interested in is uh, Zion Williamson because he could be six four or six five, and I wouldn't be at all shocked. Draymond too. I mean, he like he was standing next to LeBron uh, at the WNBA game this week. I mean, there's a difference for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and I also think you know, KD. I think a lot of people would point to KD because he's been saying you know he's what six nine for his entire career. Yeah, he's probably seven one or whatever. So uh, I hope that this process has integrity. Like you don't come out and say we're doing this <laughs> and you don't actually do it right. So I want to see the full list of updated uh, heights for sure. Um, yeah. Did they also have like a? a bylaw that said they can't really get accurate weights because it fluctuates too much. Oh, I have no idea. I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty sure that also, was the thing. And I, that look, that applies to media members too. I mean, I can, I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I think you and I are probably in much better shape now than we will be in like late May as the playoffs are, are winding down. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, Joel Embiid's probably on the sports writer diet. I mean, I don't know. Like he feels like, <laughs> Feels like he's never a lot of chick. Feels like he's never quite where he needs to be in May. You know, I don't know if he's staying up banging out columns at two a.m. or what. What his excuse is? Yeah, I was walking behind him a couple years ago, and I heard him order like three steaks from room service, and um, which, granted, is healthier than the amount of Chick Fil A he's been reported to eat at various points. Uh, but hopefully. Embiid is in is in better shape this year. I think that's like the the biggest factor. Um, I don't know who cares. Uh, Joel says Rachel Nichols just said the greatest ability is availability on the jump. Sorry, Andrew, that saying is now a real thing. Congratulations, Ben. You have finally arrived. Oh, it felt how does it, it felt feel? so good, Andrew? Because we had so many 
listeners or viewers of the jump sending me the clip you know like they were just <laughs> proud followers of rachel just wanting to know that we're on the same wavelength and i should just take a, a minute here personally to thank her i think she might be my most devoted instagram follower right now she's given me so many comments lately it just warms my heart it was so nice of her wow. to kind of weigh in on the instagram story against you and say you know this is a real slogan everyone should be using it there's a lot of truth to it sorry andrew um, I'm sure that hurt. I mean, I don't know how you recover from that. I'm glad you didn't retire. It was a, obviously a body blow that she was delivering on Instagram story. It's just a great reminder. Everybody should follow us on that platform. Ben Dog Oliver. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was delighted by Rachel saying that it was originally Bill Parcells who came <laughs> up with that phrase because nothing in the world makes more sense than you being a Bill Parcells' disciple, um, you know, don't ask Ben to cook the meal if you're not going to let him buy the groceries. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Bill Parcells' work. Either the way, The only though, time I've just... quoted Parcells was via Tom Thibodeau for a Jimmy Butler story. So it all comes full circle. Oh, it's all like the just crazy 24-hour-a-day psychos, you know, me, Parcells, Jimmy, and Tibbs. That sounds like a Mount Rushmore of, uh, you know, quotes that we could use. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it. And look, the greatest ability is availability is not your phrase. <laughs> I've never um, said it was. So. I just think it's an important <laughs> one for you to memorize. <laughs> yeah, well, shout out to Rachel, too. It really is true. I didn't totally appreciate the reach that the jump has until hearing from all the people who saw her drop that phrase on ESPN this week. Um, so that was very cool. And again... I would say in terms of like Gulliver aphorisms, you have like 10 to 15 that are significantly more ridiculous than the greatest ability is availability. So I'm glad that Rachel chose one of the few sensible ones. And um, speaking of your sort of life principles, <laughs> yes. though, I wanted to close with a text message from one of my best friends who says, uh, this is from Muse. He says, I'm at Zion National Park, and a park ranger just announced that they can now fine you for playing music on speakers. There was a round of applause from the entire bus we are on. It is the most Gulliver shit of all time. <laughs> so, how do you feel about that, Ben? Are you do you support the fines? First of all, uh, it's a absolutely an issue because Zion National Park. To get to all the good places, you actually have to be on a bus. You can't just drive and park yourself, right? So people, you know, uh, appreciators, aficionados of nature are now forced into these cattle car-like environment where you're, you know, forced to interact with other people that you would normally be able to ignore and just kind of keep out of your life. And so there is mm -hmm. really the opportunity for a lot of tension, right? Like you wouldn't want me <laughs> on that bus just blasting Ariana Grande towards you you would look at me sideways, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's all about respect. I think ultimately the important thing about Zion is that there's wildlife out there, you know? And I don't think you should be blasting music wow. just for the enjoyment of your hike um, when you realize that there's all sorts of animals that you could be disturbing. I mean, take nothing but photos, leave nothing but footprints. I think, you know, noise pollution kind of qualifies under that, um, you know, overall overarching message and so i i'm actually great with this rule i think it's a good one and bottom line like go get a pair of raycon headphones right support our uh advertisers yeah. like every if you have 
corded headphones, you're late. It's almost 2020. Get some Bluetooth headphones. If you're trying to use that like pillboxing that people use, you are disturbing all of your fellow park goers and the animals and the rangers definitely for sure. They don't want to hear your music. So I think it's a great uh, it's a great principle. Why not? Well, listen, I hate wireless headphones except for Raycon wireless headphones. Um, but I am not a wireless guy. Uh, because they're, they're very difficult to keep track oh. of. I, I don't even have a new iPhone because they eliminated the headphone jack. So I am sticking with the iPhone 6 or whatever, the last the last version that had a headphone jack. Um, do they even get Instagram but, on those? Like, do you have you have look, apps or what do you do on what do you do on your <laughs> phone? Play Pong? I mean, what are you doing? Wireless headphone takes aside. Beautiful sentiment there from you as Ranger Rick. Uh, respect the wildlife. Don't even worry about your fellow park goers. Do it for the mountain okay. lions of Zion National the, Park. The real story here is that you and Muse just talk crap about me all the time on text messages. That would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's a listener. Um, 100%. Muse, uh, DM me but, for my phone. We can exchange photos from Zion. I promise you, you're going to have a better time. Andrew can't even take pictures, apparently, on his. So, look, just upgrade, you know, upgrade your friendships, your text message relationships. I'm here for you. All right. Well, listen, Ben, we've buried the lead here at the end because the biggest news of the day is that beginning next week, we are going back to two episodes per week. Basketball season will be officially here as media days get rolling. Both you and I are going to be bouncing around, and um, I can't wait. So with that in mind, I will talk to you next Monday night for an episode that will drop That's Tuesday. That's right. Like I said at the, at the start, at the top, submit, okay? We're entering your life twice a week. Load us up in your phones, in your wireless headphones, your wired headphones. Don't take us out there into the national parks unless you've got headphones on. We are back. We are here for you. And basketball is back. And you could tell how excited we are. It's genuine excitement. We are rested, rejuvenated, recharged, and ready to rock. So check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word uh, during a new year. Also, don't forget to interact with us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. As you're watching all the crazy media day extravaganzas around the league, if something piques your interest, send it to us. Let us know what's going on. We love the interactivity. It's the heartbeat of this show. Andrew, I'm on Instagram, at ben.goliver. You and I have been getting into wars on the Instagram stories. Rachel Nichols jumped in, like you mentioned. We've had a lot of heavy hitters, lots of activity on that platform. So people <laughs> should be checking it out. Hey, Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy.